Hi, I'm Megan Francis. And I'm Dave Kroc. And this is the LifeWork Podcast. In this show, we'll explore what it really takes to build a business while designing a life that matters. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 12 of Life Work. I'm Megan Francis here with Dave Kroc. And today we are talking about managing risk in business. Um, and just as we were getting ready to record this, we had a funny little conversation where we weren't sure if we had enough batteries left in our recorder. And Dave commented that he doesn't yet know where the E, like how far you can get on E. Right. So if you're driving your car, yeah. all of us know how far we can push our car Right. once the the low gas thing comes on. <laughs> Some of us with masterful, like, cruise into the gas station as it's dying yes. precision. <laughs> yes. That's that's precision right there. Yes. However... Uh, we decided we'd rather not find out. That's right. So the risk would be running out of gas, right. a.k.a. running out of batteries in this nice hard disk recorder we use. Um, and rather than find out, we just opted to change the battery, thereby yes. mitigating the risk that it would run out. Exactly. And there is, you know... The reward, I suppose, mm -hmm. uh, is, well, I mean, the cost is that we're going to pay a couple extra bucks for batteries or whatever. Right. But, you know, we didn't poop out five minutes into the show and right. then have to start over because, you know, we just keep on yakking and don't notice that it's still, it's not recording anymore. So what a clumsy way that is to set up. <laughs> but a perfect example <laughs> of risk example. and mitigating risk. <laughs> So the other day, um, in episode 11, um, I spoke with Kate Sukel, who is the author of the book, The Art of Risk, The New Science of Courage, Caution, and Chance. And we talked about risk-taking in a little bit broader strokes. We talked about um, sort of what's going on cognitively when you decide whether to take a risk or not, those gut feelings, what really is going on there, um, and why people who seem to be the biggest risk-takers often are actually very calculated and strategic even though it might seem like, you know, they're jumping off the side of a mountain or they're gambling for money or whatever it is. So um, today we're going to dive a little bit more specifically into business and very specifically into Dave's uh, experience with risk. Because I have to say, as someone who's mostly been a solo entrepreneur, my risk has been very limited to, do I take on this crappy assignment? Then, you know, <laughs> the risk is really, I'm going to hate it for, for a week. Yeah. I already hate this person now. Right. <laughs> Should I do work for them? Right. But there's been very few times when I've really stood on that precipice of investing ser a serious chunk of time or energy or money into something that might not work out. So I'm really, really excited about this one because as I do move into the more of those, you know, the bigger the risk, sometimes the bigger the reward or the bigger the, the seeming risk, the bigger the reward. So I, I definitely want to know more about your process, Dave. So sure. I guess let's just start with the question. I mean, how do you manage risk in business? That's a huge question, but I'm mm -hmm. sure you can break it on down. Sure. Yeah. Well, and just to frame it a little bit. So, you know, I've, I've started more than 20 companies. However, not all of them have been large, huge risks where I was up awake at night right. starting them, right? So you, you touched on it pretty well there when you, you sort of mentioned the size has something to do with it, right. right? The bigger the risk, the hopefully the bigger the reward, right? A big risk with with low upside, <laughs> hey, that's probably not something to do. So, And if you're out there doing those kinds of things, low upside potential, but lots of risk along the way, I think you might have either a thrill problem or some other form of <laughs> cognitive issue. But, um, but that's what it, yeah, but yeah. see, that's what it boils down to though, right? It's you've touched on, it, it's the risk and the reward. What is the, what is the potential outcome that I could get from this for what I perceive are the actual risks and are those risks real or not? So understanding what they are. So for me, I look at, I look at business almost like investing period, whether I'm starting a new business 
or I'm investing money into a business of somebody else's or reinvesting money into one of my own businesses. Because one of the questions uh, in growing a business might be, should I expand or should I start something new or should I not do anything at all? And so I look at everything that I do as an investor. Um, basically, I'm either investing time, money, or talent. Um, and, and so typically it boils down to, and a lot of the risk in business is either reputational or financial, right? It kind of boils down to those main things. I'm sure there's other risks that are there, but typically when you're looking at what are we doing to manage our risk in business, we're trying to avoid losing money, right? Right. That's pretty much what it boils down to. Let's just call a spade a spade. Right. We don't want to lose money. Yeah. And, uh, I love Warren Buffett's quote. The number one rule of investing is don't lose money. <laughs> and then rule number two is see rule number one. Right. And that's it. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more to Warren Buffett's investing strategy. And actually, we'll talk about him a little bit uh, in this episode, because I think he and his partner, Charlie Munger, have two of the, the best investors of all time. They've built a giant company that has invested full on by buying other companies and have stakes in large companies like Coke and um, have bought uh, C's candies outright. And they own... Um, uh, insurance companies and, and lots of different things that they're into. Uh, and I, I look at them as sort of some masters of uh, risk management. And what they have to say about the subject is something I think we should all pay attention to. So um, to me, it boils down to that investing kind of mentality. So if I invest $1, what is my chance that that dollar is going to turn? What is it going to turn into? Right. If I know it's a guarantee that dollar is going to turn into 50 cents, and that's 100% certainty. Well, what am, what else am I getting out of it? You know, should I be doing that over and over again? Well, sometimes, you know, there's certain early marketing campaigns in a business that you might spend a dollar to only make 50 cents back because you're growing a certain awareness in a in a, uh, um, a market, let's say, or a niche. Now, you don't want to do that forever because obviously you would either run out of cash if you don't have another stream of income that's producing surplus, right? Mm-hmm. So very little... amount of the time do you want to invest in something where you're not receiving at least back what you put in um, and then more so the but most of us think about uh, the investing in a business or starting a business we want huge returns right Right. we're looking for the I'm going to put in $20 now or I'm going to put in $25,000 to start this business I want to be able to sell it for $100 million someday or I want to uh, grow a, a stream of income that will be passive to me that I won't have to work for within a few years or, or those sorts of things. Those are the goals that we tend to go into business with. And I think the risks that are associated with that come in different ways, depending on what that original goal is. But for me, how do I manage risk in business? It, it starts from, I have to know enough about what's going on to be able to understand what the risks are. I think one of the, the the biggest things that entrepreneurs can fall into is not knowing what you don't know. And then the alternative to that is having to know everything before you even start. And that's it's important to have both of those spectrums laid out because both ends of the spectrum laid out because somewhere in the middle is where you want to be. I would say leaning towards the side of understanding what's going on, understanding all the factors, um, especially if the risk is big or if yeah. you're, you know, if let's say you've got, $100,000 in net worth, period, and you need to invest $75,000 of that net worth in order to start this business, you have no idea how it's going to do, you could lose all that money, and you might end up a couple of years later with $25,000 in net worth. If that's your entire goal and you're not okay with that end result, I would recommend taking a strategy that reduces the risk that you have of those finances right. being out of there, whether it means finding an investor, borrowing money, uh, bootstrapping in a way which, that doesn't require you to put out 75000 to start, those sorts of things. 
um, are just some of the general principles that yeah. I use going in. I do a lot of analysis. Um, the goal for me typically is um, when I'm starting a business or acquiring a business, I'm looking for a 50% cash on cash return pretty early in the process of me being involved, whether it's the first year, which I like to see in the first year, uh, which means you either have to leverage pretty well or you have to go into a business where you can, uh, you're putting a lot of cash out there, but you're getting half of it back real mm-hmm. fast. You know, and in a couple of years or three years, now you've got all your money back out and now you have this asset. So those are some of the ways that I look at it. Um, but I yeah, do so. have a couple of questions that came up into my mind yeah. as you were talking. One is, and, and I'm not a super analytical person by nature, so this is where I always stall out um, or tend to stall out when I start thinking about these, you know, these kind of bigger risk-taking ventures. One is when you're talking about something like projecting income or project, mm-hmm. projecting revenue, it's so much of it just kind of seems like unprojectable. You can look at what's sure. going on around you, but what if you're better than they are? Right. Or what if you're worse? Mm-hmm. Or what if trends change? Mm-hmm. Or So I guess my first question for you is when you do projections, how accurate do those projections tend to actually be? Is it really just a crapshoot or is there a lot of merit to that? Yeah. It, it depends on where you are in the business process. If you're launching a startup and you have, so I have an idea to, I'm just just pull something out of a hat, right? So I have an idea to do this, which will solve this problem in the marketplace. That doesn't exist currently, and I'm going to create that. I think it's a great solution. I have a perfect team, and I'm going to VCs to try and raise money to fund this venture. Well, the first thing a VC is going to do when they're looking at early projections, financial projections, let's be honest, early financial projections for a business that doesn't exist with a product that isn't in the market right now and this person doesn't have an existing business, right. it's pure fantasy. It's, yeah, exactly. It's pure fantasy. But at the same time, if you understand what's needed and what's necessary and if you have an easy... To me, I always like to use the phrase, I can see from here to there. So mm-hmm. if I can see... So if I, for instance, a way to look at that is, okay, so now I've got this product that doesn't exist in the marketplace. We have no idea what's going to happen with it. I think it's the perfect solution. And I have this projection that I'm going to sell 100,000 units the first year. And a venture capitalist or somebody else is going to go, well, I mean, that's fantasy. How do you know that? Well, I have an order from Walmart for 100,000 units. Mm. I've, I've eliminated that risk, right? So now right. I've got some certainty. I've, I can see from here to that sale. You can't always see that when you're starting up. And I think if we're talking about this... When, if I'm starting something from scratch, I've got to know that I can add it on to something I'm already doing, that it's a complementary sort of thing, because now I can see more clearly where the potential outcome could be, um, or if I'm investing in a business that already exists. Right. So, um, you know, we're, we're sitting in a business right now that I own. It's a retirement community, and myself and three other guys bought this almost 10 years ago. When we went in, basically, we had all the financials. We understood what their business was like. We understood what was happening, what was positive, what was negative. We could see, based upon our experiences in business, what changes we could make in a range of what expectations we could produce from those results, right? So if I, if I know that, uh, let's say this isn't the case from that example, but if I know going into uh, a planning year that there is zero price sensitivity for the product that we're offering, let's say it's a $100 product, and everybody's happy to immediately pull out their wallet and pay $100 for this product. I see other people charging $150 for this product. Well, I feel pretty pretty positive that I could charge $110 for this product and not see much risk, mm-hmm. not, not lose that many customers. So now I can project, well, what about a 10% price increase? What is that going to do? In, yeah. my, in my financial projections. So that's where I think it, it's, it's how much you know for certain. So there's a, with, with all the projections that I do, 
I build in a measure of certainty. Like if I'm not certain about, if I'm 80% certain about this number or I'm 50% certain about this number or some just general feeling on a scale of one to 10, how certain I am yeah. that this number is real or will happen, I build that in. So you want to you wanna build in a margin of safety to what you do. And I think that makes it a lot easier than to look at a projection and say, well, I think this could happen. If you're starting from scratch, it's it's it can be a crapshoot mm-hmm. and you're you're basically jumping off the cliff and building a plane on the way down. Right. And there's something exciting about that. If you've if you've mitigated the ultimate risk. So right. if you're a young, let's say you're a young kid out of college, you've got low living expenses, the business doesn't take much money to start up and you can get started right away and start to learn some things about whether this can work or not. I actually say that's a fairly low risk right venture even though you have no idea what's going to happen yeah well if you've got a family you're further in life it's going to cost half a million dollars to start this business you got to raise money or you're putting your own money in and you still don't know what's going to happen you know there's that's a much bigger risk for that person yeah. and so that's where the projections you you want a lot more certainty uh in that degree of of range for that kind of thing one of the things that popped into my head when you were kind of describing this is that um and something that ties into what kate and i spoke about in episode 11 is how risk taking smart risk taking is kind of like a muscle yeah that you and it made me think of negotiating probably the biggest risks i've ever taken in my business have been asking for sometimes a lot more money Mm -hmm. than i'm sure they'll give, <laughs> you know, the, sure, right. either what they're the offered, uh, the client offered up front or just kind of coming up with a number out of my head that I, you know, would be really happy with and seeing what happens because you do run the risk that they'll walk away. Right. And the first few times I did that, it was really hard, A, because I had no idea what I was doing mm-hmm. and B, I wasn't used to it. Right. But then the more you do it, the more used to it you get. So I guess it's the same kind of thing where you, right. you get better at kind of making those judgments a little quicker Mm-hmm. Based on the information you have and the feeling that you have in putting those two things together. Yeah, your knowledge grows over time. Yeah. You know, you get used to well, in, in in the past I've done this and it's worked out this way and and now now I can see exactly the same circumstance. Right. And I feel pretty confident it'll work out that way. No, we we're ne- we don't always know the future, right. right? You know, I think if if um if we have a crystal ball and we could figure out exactly what is gonna happen in the future and we knew that, I, I would suggest that going into business might not be the best use of our time. Right. We might we might actually have some better <laughs> some better uh, things yes. we might want to do. Yes. Um but betting. Um, yeah, or, or or going right into business. You yeah. know, that that it actually might be the better the better of the two. Yeah. But um it, I think risk really comes down to, to risk comes in 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 direct proportion to the, the amount of um knowledge we don't have about something. Mm-hmm. So if I can't see from here to there, if I can't see exactly what's going to happen, there's more risk. Um, if then you add in the degree of difficulty or, you know, like I've done this kind of thing before, but I still don't know what's going to happen. Well, there's a little bit less risk, but if I've never done this kind of thing before and I don't know what's going to happen, you know, you've got a high degree of risk there. But what, so, so really the only way to work through those things is thinking through a problem, thinking through what the possible outcomes could be, learning as much as possible about the factors that are involved. Um, again, if it's a big risk, I suggest more learning, more certainty, yeah, more um, preciseness in your numbers. But if the risk is not that big and the actions that you take in getting into it actually could help you learn, mm-hmm. then maybe you do jump a little bit before you before you have everything worked out. So You, you mentioned earlier that there's basically two major categories, uh, reputational, and I'd love to know if you have any 
not necessarily personal stories where your reputation mm-hmm. has been ruined, but just like some ways that that might play out. But a, a third and and financial, but a third one that popped into my head is the risk that if you do one thing, you can't do the other, which isn't right. really a risk so much as it is looking at two opportunities and deciding which one is yeah. has more reward. Yes, relative yeah. to the risk. Sure, um, sure. So I don't know, like yeah. you can dive into those. Yeah, I'll take the first one sure. first. Um, so well, let's let's talk in a principled standpoint. The whole phrase, the customer is always right. I think that is born out of a feeling that there's reputational risk on the line if mm. you challenge a customer who may or may not be right. Right. We're right. thinking, especially in the day, the day and age of online reviews, right? Yeah. I think about in our small town, there's a great Facebook group that reviews restaurants oh, all yeah. the time. It's hilarious. And and <laughs> and for the casual outside observer, you're yeah. thinking, okay, here's a bunch of amateurs that right. are that are being food critics. And, and but at the same time, it's a legitimate it's a legitimate source of information where people go to find out about restaurants. Absolutely. So yeah. as a restaurateur, I'm not a restaurateur in this area, but if I were, I, I there would be some level of interest that I would pay to mm-hmm. what's going on in this group. And, and would I, if there was an unhappy customer in, in my establishment that I knew was a part of this group, would I make some sort of extra concessions when they're not happy? Mm-hmm. I might. Right. So that would be where I'm looking at reducing reputational risk. That would be an example of that. Um, and I've done that in, in business before, you know, either, whether it's uh, given a discount for something that has gone wrong or, you know, the, the whole idea of making it right in a customer service capacity is twofold. It's one, the reputational risk, right? So, and, and it's not to say we only do the right thing for the customer because we're worried about a reputation, but that's one part of it. Right. The other part of it is making it right because you want that person to have an amazing experience because you're in business to give people amazing experiences. Um, so yeah, that's, that's yeah. the first thing. And, and well, I'm and sure there's plenty more examples we can come up with on that front. The other thing I was thinking about with reputational risk is even deciding whether to get into a certain industry or mm-hmm. business opportunity in the first place. Right. I mean, you know, if someone goes to your restaurant and they're not real happy with their $30 meal and they say they're never going to come back to your restaurant, if there was a whole bunch of those people, then the reputational sure. risk is could be bigger or the, I guess the effect or the impact. Right. But if you're in, say... I don't building airplanes, right? (laughs) Yes. You know, where if you don't, if you get in with the wrong, you get in with the wrong company and there's an incident, right? It's huge national, international news. Absolutely. Totally different level of reputational risk. Yep. I'm sure, I'm sure national politicians go through the same process thinking about, should I run for president? Should I be the VP to this presidential candidate? You know, things like that probably, uh, there's a there's a there's a nuance there of reputational risk, but again, it's it's all what are the potential outcomes? So that that's what risk is all about, right? It's figuring out what are the potential outcomes that and and, and how can I ensure that I the range of the bad outcomes is reduced, right? Mm-hmm. And that yeah, maybe this is these are the three bad outcomes that could potentially happen because I've taken care of the other ones. Um, and I can live with those and then all the rest of it is good. Yeah. You know, that's what we're doing in risk reduction is trying to, to work through those things. You know, you're, when you're pleasing the unhappy customer, whether they are right or they're wrong, you're, you're eliminating if, you know, 1% of your customers are like that. Yeah. Now you've got the other 99%. You've eliminated potentially the, the, the downside risk that they're going to go and bad mouth your business. And now you've got the 99% that you know you can please to just focus on. So let me put you on the spot a little bit, Dare Dave. Yeah, go ahead. Have you ever declined a business opportunity because you weren't sure your your reputation of being aligned with that company was the risk was too great? Mm-hmm. And have you all and also what are some ways that you've personally in your 
lines of business mm-hmm. mitigate risk. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to answer your first question, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've turned down, and I was actually fairly lucky because as a young, uh, so I started out doing some real estate investing. That was one of the early things that I, that I did. And there was a guy that was, uh, he was a realtor. This is, this is in Illinois. And, um, he was getting into, um, basically taking advantage of people who had fallen into foreclosure or mm. other situations yeah. like that. Now there's, there's ways to help a person who is about to lose their house in a way in which it's win-win for both people. Right. Right. Which I would argue is actually a beneficial business proposition. And there's ways in which to approach that situation, which is win for you, lose for the person that is losing their house mm. also. Um, and his approach, um, I learned after meeting him was the latter it was one of those where you know there there was nothing illegal about what he was doing however it wasn't right right i didn't believe it was right and so i avoided and there was a lot of potential profit and and um notoriety uh on the table for that and i i avoided that situation um and i was young and and at the time didn't have any money right and so it was a, it was a tough one, but I'm I'm glad all these years later that it did because when I think about stuff now, so now it's not I'm not as much hurting for money, right? I don't need to take every project, I don't need to do every opportunity that comes my way, and I think about okay, what really matters now? I mean, even in the even in hindsight, looking way back then, you know, you you scrap around and you do what you can do to kind of get started, but at the same time, there's still things you should say no to. Right. Because there's stuff that is just not as important as your reputation. There's just, I mean, your word and your reputation is pretty much all you have at the end at of the, the end day. At the end of the day, yes. Because all the toys go back in the box <laughs> right. when we check out, right? <laughs> right, right, right. And then what what are you remembered for, right? right? It's your legacy and your reputation. Yeah, absolutely. And and on that, so that's kind of a bigger, that's like a big choice. But then in any business, there's many, many micro decisions that we make that can mitigate that reputational risk as well. Yeah. So throughout... You know, but let's talk about money. Yes, <laughs> sure. You've mentioned a couple of times mitigating that financial risk by not using your own money, mm-hmm. and um, let's talk about that because I feel like sometimes there's a sense that even if you're if you're using somebody else's money, the risk is like someone's going to come break your knees if you don't right. <laughs> you do all the business, which so. is possible. <laughs> so talk about what that actually looks like in a practical way. Um, Getting in, and I mean, we can't go into all of that in yeah. this episode today. We can, but we can touch on this idea that how is it really less risky to use someone else's money when ultimately you're responsible for returning right. that money to them? And Absolutely. that reputationally, that it all needs um, sure. whether you're going to end up sw- like sleeping with the fishes, yeah, or right, right, just run out of town. We should probably know. apologize to all the guys <laughs> out there named Guido right now yes. because no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, sorry, Guido. The um, yeah. So so let me let me answer the maybe not obvious, but potentially first question that may come to people's minds is if you're borrowing money from another person or to go into a business that you know you're not likely to succeed at. Right. If you're not telling this person, you know what? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm ninety percent sure we're gonna lose all this money. Right. Are you in? Right. Then right, right. then you're you're not doing it right. So. So to reduce risk by borrowing money from, from another person is, ba- is, is more so an issue of diversification. So if you've got, um, let's see if we can do a hypothetical here. If you have, you know, you're, let's say you're an individual and 
Um, I'll, I'll go back to the real estate investing example because that's something a lot of people can relate to. Let's say you're an individual, you work for a company, you've got a salary, you have a family, you're saving for retirement, and you've got a little bit of excess cash. Let's say you've got an excess $10,000. Mm-hmm. And you want to go into investing in a single family house as a rental and you're going to make some residual income from that. Let's say you find a house that's $100,000 and it's a great house. It'd make a perfect rental. And, you know, you, you run the numbers and you know that if if I put 20 percent down or if I put 30 percent down or 40 percent down, here's what that mortgage is going to be. Um, when you're renting a property out, the mortgage is one of the biggest chunks of expense right. and you're trying to create cash flow. Right. You're trying to create. Right. Uh, passive cash flow in excess of what the expenses are on that property. So if you know the if you know the rent will be a thousand dollars and your mortgage will be five hundred dollars and there's two hundred dollars other expenses, you've got three hundred dollars extra cash flow that that's going to produce. Well, if if it takes putting twenty percent down to acquire that property and the property's a hundred thousand dollars, that's twenty thousand dollars, and you might only have ten thousand dollars, but you want to hold on to some cash for potentially repairs that need to be made or other things that might come up. So maybe you only want to put 5,000 into that. Now, if you borrow the other 15,000 that's needed from somebody else who can see that you are a responsible owner, you're somebody that would produce a good return for them and they're likely to get their money back. And the game plan is we're going to buy this house. We're going to rent it out for two years and we're going to sell it at a profit. And that person could see a potential high upside for investing in in that prop property now it's a different situation it's not you're you're reducing your risk by reducing the amount of your free capital that is at risk and and at the same time if you're choosing money from an investor who is not giving their last twenty thousand right. dollars away and for them it's not a high risk because it might be a smaller percentage of their um free cash flow let's right. say then you then you're creating kind of a win-win situation there mm-hmm. and so you've reduced some of your risk by borrowing money um, I, I cash is king. Let's, let's right. be honest. And, and obviously if you had bought that hundred thousand dollar property for cash and the, you know, instead of having a $500 mortgage, you only had those $200 in expenses and you, you know, the rent was a thousand dollars. Now you have $800 a month that's coming to you, you know, over the course of a year, that's $9,600. So you're getting almost 10% on your money. Now, if you'd borrowed that, you're going to see a lower return right? because you've got a excess yes. interest and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So so cash does end up reducing overall risk because it reduces some of the costs of carrying money. Yeah. And so that's one way to look at it. Yeah. Um, it's so, so by diversifying what you're able to, the amount that yeah. you're able to put in. So that's one way to look at it. And I guess, and also the other key is going to people who are, they know what they're doing as well. Right. I mean, this is why you don't, you know, hit up your, your broke cousin, right. Bobby at yep. Thanksgiving. Yeah for this ground floor opportunity. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> <That's, that'll>, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, y'all you're, thought you were here for Thanksgiving. Exactly. We have just a small business presentation for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then there is, you know, that's such a stereotype, but there is that, especially if that's something that's new to you, the idea of who would I approach and how do I not take advantage of people while still going and not using my own money right. and making it a win-win for everybody, realizing that everyone, if you're smart and you're borrowing from smart people, they know it could be a lose-lose. I mean, right. you know, that's Absolutely. the risk they take. Absolutely. So. Well, and, and so let's go back to the venture capital example. Venture capitalists are looking for people that have 
that have the ability to produce what they're looking for. Venture capitalists have to place money. Mm-hmm. I mean, they raise money from people. How they make money is not the 1%, 2% fees they're they're earning on. Right. Th- th- I mean, they make that money and that pays their salaries. But what they're looking for is the ability to produce 20%, right. re- 20 times returns, 30 times returns for their investors. And if they want to have more investors in the future, they need to be producing that. So they're looking for people that can help get them there. They're looking for businesses that can help get them there. So they're not looking for, and and this is where, like we go back to the investing example, if you're risking a lot to make 10% on your money, that's not a great situation to be in. Mm -hmm. But if you're risking a lot to make 20 times your money, 30 times your money, well, now you can afford to lose a lot more times to still be ahead in the long run. So it's this long game of uh, looking at sort of the odds, right? Playing the odds. And that's what that's what we're looking for, right? We're essentially looking for, um, well, I'll set up an example here. So if we, if we know that 50% of the time we'll double our money, let's say we're using a gambling example or playing cards or, or investing in business, 50% of the time we'll double our money, 50% of the time we'll lose all of our money. Right. What's, where are we at, right? So- yeah. Zero, right? You're at a zero. Okay. You're basically you're basically going to be even <laughs> yeah. if those odds hold all right. the time, right? right. And, and again, you might roll three times and double your money, or three right. times and lose all your money, and it just depends on how much you have in total, right? So how much can you wear with withstand over time? Um, it's a long game. So what you're looking for is you're looking for asymmetrical asymmetrical risk versus reward. So if I know I only have to risk a dollar every time to play the lottery. And there's a one in a bazillion chance that I'll win whatever. Really, the, the odds are not in your favor. To right. win the, you've got better odds to invest that that dollar into something that you can sell for a dollar fifty. Right. Right. The, there's just there's other small ways to actually over time end up ahead than playing the lottery. But if you know that you can invest a dollar and you've got a 50 percent chance of a five times return or a 50 percent chance of losing your money. If the odds hold, if if every you know one out of two over the course of time, and you have enough money to to withstand a losing streak, in aggregate, if that is always the case, you will always be ahead. So what you're looking for is to be able to understand what those odds are. Now we can't always quantify those things in business, right? There's stuff that could go wrong that we have no idea. We're not going to know everything, right. and so yeah. that's where we get into these ranges of acceptability, right? Which I think you touched on earlier. Like, yeah. how do you know what's close enough? Yeah. Right? Well, and and what occurs to me when you're talking about these different examples um, is that something like that, where if if the uh, asymmetrical return or whatever or odds are small, you know, only mm-hmm. slightly tipped mm-hmm. in your favor, then you have to be in it. I mean, you have to be willing to stick it out. Yeah. For a long time for a long to time. see those rewards. And, th- and that's why in traditional retirement investing is sort of this long-term proposition, right? right. You're, you're investing in relatively safe assets over the course of time and you're hoping to get a 5 to 10% return. And depending on how much fee, how many, you know, the, the size of the fees that you pay, the percentage of fees that you pay to your broker or whomever is managing your money, it directly impacts that. And so over the course of time, you're trying to produce this slow growth low risk, relatively low risk over time where you get to the place you want to be, right? So the, the goal is I need to actually be able to stop working, right. right? Well, if the goal is I'm trying to, you know, I don't have to, my my day money, whether I can eat or live or whatever is not relying upon this investment. Now it becomes more about, well, what am I looking for? I'm looking for, I'm number one, don't lose money, right? Yeah. Trying to prevent complete loss of the capital um, or the opportunity or whatever, and but you're trying to then figure out what are the odds where do i need to be at in order to 
reach whatever my goal is. So if your goal is, I just want to be able to be in a comfortable place at this point in time, then there's, and, and it's not, if you work the numbers backwards, it's not that incredibly difficult to get to. That's why most people are advised to stick money in the stock market and mutual Mm -hmm. funds and things like that, which are not necessarily low risk investments. But as you get towards retirement, you know, think gone are the days of, of just straight, straight savings accounts right. right now, anyway, of being a source of return. But at one point in time, older people were, were advised to just put their money in CDs and savings mm-hmm. accounts. It's so low risk and you know, like you're going to get 6% or you something. You know, you're going to get yeah. five, 6% over time that compounds mm-hmm. and there you are. It's yeah. nice and easy, not a lot of risk, blah, blah, blah. Um, but now there's no return on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. now there's no return on that. And, and yeah. in other situations, that might not be what you're after, right? right. Especially if you're a venture, venture capitalist. So let, let's let's talk about identifying risks because yeah. I think that is a huge nebulous thing. And I'm going to use the restaurant example you brought up earlier, um, although I think it could apply to almost the idea that you've got. Okay, one risk is it's a big fat failure. Mm-hmm. That's probably the first one people think of. Sure. You know, we go out of business, nothing sells, we go out of business end of story. So if right. I could just make that not happen. Right. Um, but then you've got something where there's machinery mm-hmm. and you don't really know if it's going to be the, you know, the range hood that's going to go down or, right. um, you know, you're not going to be able to get a good employee or someone's going to trip on their way out and you're going to have a huge premium rise on your liability or whatever, you yep. know? So yep. how, I mean, how much that's guessing too, but there must be a way to look at that and just, I mean, I don't know, make yeah. an educated guess? Sure, sure. Well, I, I know that insurance companies do these incredibly detailed risk models, right? So they go through what's the worst that can happen here, right. blah, blah, blah. And then they do, you know, they inspect your property potentially and see what those potential risks are. Well, at this property, they don't have as many or they've done a good job of keeping this piece of machinery maintained or whatever. And so in this particular case, this restaurant, let's say, if I'm an insurance company, this restaurant's going to be a little bit more low risk than the one next door who's, I don't know, the guy's doing knife tricks in the back, right? <laughs> you know, so yeah. th- that I can see there's a difference here, right? right? So, yeah, there's a the process of, of determining what a risk is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's, it's understanding what could impact, number one, the potential of the business to even survive. Number two, the... Um, amount of time that's necessary for the owner to be there or the amount of financial return they get or are they going to be able to sell this business for a profit later on or whatever. I know for me what I'm looking for, I, I do so many, I bring so many of the metrics in when I'm assessing risk and I'm assessing a business that end up being financial because I'm so... I'm, I'm, for me, it's not about, I don't, I don't have sort of a labor of love business where I'm going to work in the, the hands-on labor is what drives me. For me, what drives me is the building of businesses mm-hmm. and that process. So for me, the outcome isn't the beautifully crafted pottery. It's the beautifully crafted business that survives and grows right. and produces a return. And so for me, a lot of those factors end up being financial, you know, and I look and I say, okay, well, if I go into this situation, what are the potential things that could go wrong in any given year, let's say? What are those costs, roughly? Mm-hmm. So if everything goes wrong, <laughs> right, how am I, what am I protect, how am I protecting yeah. myself against that, right? And a lot of times it is insurance. You know, insurance yeah. is, a, is an interesting, pro- it's a boring product, but it's one of those things we don't think about until we need it. And then when we need it, it's, it's like, oh, I hope I did the yeah. right thing there, right. you know? And so that that's why it pays to to pay attention to those sorts of things. But for me, when I go into a business, I model it out financially. 
Um, if I, if it's starting from scratch again, remember these are pure fantasy numbers. But if you have a similar business, you can model it off of, or you have an existing operating business that you're acquiring, let's say, that now you have some history with. You can use those numbers to help guide you into what you think the future will hold. Yeah. Um, and so it's this process for me. It's this planning process of going and figuring out okay, what exists now, what impact do I feel like I can have on that? What are the potential things that could go wrong? And how can I take those things that I can see potentially going wrong and at least have a plan for if they do? Mm-hmm. Um, I think of a, one of, the, one of the, the best stories in business, I think, that surrounds this subject is how Richard Branson started Virgin Airlines. Um, you know, they were a record company. They were Virgin Records. Right. And he got the bright idea to start an airline. And now you would think starting an airline from a record company, that's a huge risk. Right. That doesn't seem to be something. Mean, and, and we look at Richard Branson as a risk taker, but he's actually somebody that is fairly risk averse. And he, he'll talk openly about what he does is he actually protects the downside. Hmm. He figures out what is the worst thing that can happen? How can I make sure that doesn't happen? What's left? Am I okay with those outcomes? Do we have a high enough upside in going into this? to make those low low side outcomes uh, worthwhile, shall we right. say, the risk mm-hmm. reward ratio is there. And then everything looks good. All right, let's do it. And mm. it looks like a big leap from the outside. Right. I know people that, that talk to me, they think you're taking risks all the time. I am not a risky person. Right. I don't take a lot of risks. What I do has been mitigated. So I don't, for me, it doesn't feel like a risk mm-hmm. as much. Or what's there, I kind of know what the outcome could be and I'm, I have to be ready for that to happen. Yeah. Well, what he did, Richard Branson did, going into starting Virgin Airlines, is he negotiated with Boeing for their first plane, and he negotiated a deal where at the end of the first year, if their business wasn't working out, he could give the plane back. Yeah. <laughs> That's the single bis- yeah. biggest expense, right? Yeah. So he, wh- rather than being stuck with a really expensive plane and a failing business, what he figured out was, if I go into it like this, and Boeing agrees, and in that, case, in that instance, Boeing... In in Britain, which is where he's based, they only had British Airlines. Mm-hmm. Like that was the major purchaser of planes from them. So they're like every time they go into a, a negotiation to buy a plane or to sell a plane to British Airlines, British Airlines is like, well, we're your only buyer, so <laughs> we want it cheap, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. So th- they thought so there was win win. Now they could actually have a situation where now they have another buyer of planes in the market. So you know they at least had some diversification who they were selling to, and. Uh, Branson with Virgin Airways could actually give the plane back if something went wrong. So now he was able to figure out and sit down with his board uh, at Virgin Virgin Records because they at that point they had to expand out of that business and say, okay, look, at worst we're going to lose six months of profits. Mm-hmm. At best, we're this is going to work and we're going to be able to buy our second plane, our third plane, and we're going to have an airlines. And here's what the upside could look like. And they voted to go for it because he had protected the downside Mm. and they could they could kind of quantify what are we potentially going to lose here and so i love that story because that's that's a perfect example of going into a very high highly risky situation person's never started in airlines before and they found a way to to reduce what would have been their biggest risk in the whole thing and now it's not now it's not as big of a gamble anymore right well to greatly reduce i mean that's absolutely yeah yeah (laughs) basically yeah wow okay that's a great well that's a great kind of story to wrap up this topic on i think unless there's something we didn't touch on yet that you think is of vital importance um i don't know i think there's there's probably a few like more ways to reduce risk just different ways to look at uh look at things um we we talked about the 
Um, the idea of playing cards and odds and, and that kind of thing, it, that's definitely something I, I highly recommend people research a little bit because being able to whittle down a new opportunity, whether it's going into business or an investment of some sort or whatever, into some form of quote-unquote odds and kind of understanding here's what could go wrong, here's what the upside could be, here's where I kind of feel the chances are in, in those mm. things happening. If it's the worst case scenario on the downside, am I okay with that? If not, what can I do to, to eliminate that as a risk? And just get yourself into these situations where the risk reward is in your favor. Um, mm. Because if you do that, again, like we talked about investing, mm. if you do that consistently over time, you will consistently win. Yeah. It, well, even though it seems like it's a risky thing you're doing. I think that if you're not used to doing that yourself or if you don't feel you have the skill set or the understanding or the, you know, analytical mind to do that, it's, you need someone to help you. Is <laughs> right. a mentor or just like you would hire Absolutely. a financial planner Absolutely. to help you make investments yep. of that nature. So that's something that, you know, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur and you're thinking, well, I'm done, I can't do this because I can't even begin to think about the odds on, you know, like, like what are the odds I'm going to get out of bed on time today? I can't even think of that. Right. So, if that's not how your brain works, find someone whose brain does work that way. Yeah. It could be a consultant or a sure. coach or a, you know, mentor right. type person. Absolutely. That's a perfect, a perfect to do for people is to yeah. have somebody, if you're not a good person, understanding what, what risks are or being able to analyze those things, have somebody in your corner. Or even if these, these are people that you don't have a chance to meet, read yeah. about them, learn about how they think, learn about some of the principles behind what they do, because that can really help you kind of adopt in a way. Mm-hmm. those that that skill set right if nothing else then just to have a little bit of a checklist that you're running through your decision like hey i don't think this way but so and so's checklist is this mm-hmm. and so i'm going to take my situation and run it through that and see what what that could potentially be like a, a great resource there if you're an investor um is poor charlie's almanac which is by charlie munger of berkshire hathaway he's that's a great book i i check that book out a couple times a year um i read through that book um, but one, one of the other things I think is really important for people to think about, um, we talked about it earlier, it's opportunity cost, right? Knowing what your alternative is in a given situation is, means almost everything, right? So if you have, if there are these three different ways I could go in starting this business or making this investment or whatever, and you know, one has a really high upside, but a really high risk. One has kind of a medium upside, but almost no risk. One has lots of risk and uncertain upside. Right. I mean, you can kind of see what's the best option there. If you can figure out what your alternatives are, um, that means a lot. I mean, if you know that you've got somebody waiting in the wings while you're working through some hassles with an employee that has consistently been an issue, and you've got somebody that would be a perfect fit for that role, and this person is really kind of unwilling to change and is not fit in your culture and whatever, mm-hmm. you know, you can see your alternative is pretty right. good. Yeah. And that's a good example of, of that kind of thing. The opportunity cost of what could be happening if you were to move a good person into this role when you're fighting through with this person that just won't change. Right. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity that is lost there. Think about what the upside could be with that new person. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing. Another, another um, uh, recommendation is to sort of invert your thinking. So if you're, if you're thinking through a question of let's say it's how could I make money in this business, right? Think through the inverse of that question. How could I lose money? What what would have to happen for me to absolutely screw this up? 
That's, I, I like to think that way because what happens is you start to think, okay, well, yeah, actually I would have to do this or I'd have to do that or you know what? I almost did that anyway. Okay, I don't want to do that. So you're, if you think through the both directions, both forward from here towards where you want to be in your plan and then also think backwards, okay, if I need to be at this point in a year, where do I have to be in six months? Where do I have right. to be in three months? That means I'm already two months behind. What can I do to fix that situation? So think through the inverse. Um, I think that's another good a good principle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and we touched on a lot of other stuff. There's a, a lot of great resources out there on reducing risk. Um, a lot of knowledge. A lot of it tends to be, you know, the risk reward ratio tends to be in investing, and in gambling, in uh, in card playing. Yes. Um, and so I think if you can you can study sort of how do how do masters approach blackjack or Texas Hold'em poker or things like that? And then also how do some of the masters reduce their risk in investing, whether it's stock market investing or private companies or whatever? If you study those two areas, you can do you can do you can learn enough about principles to really help reduce your own risk when you're going into business or you're trying to decide what to do. Cool. So, yeah. Well, that's been a that was a deep dive. We covered a lot of a lot of ground yeah. today. <laughs> I've been madly typing over here in for the show notes. Hopefully, we won't. Uh, hopefully, I've got everything. I probably didn't, but that's okay. Um, if be, if somebody out there is is heard something that yes. doesn't end up in the show notes, they will let us know. Exactly, and you can always email us at hello at lifeworkpodcast.com or just go to lifeworkpodcast.com and look for episode 12. Absolutely. And if you have thoughts about the subjects that we've been talking yeah. about here, please do correct us yeah. or ask leave follow-up questions, yes. leave comments. Um, I can see a, a point in this show where we actually do take some of those those questions Absolutely. and just answer them on would, air. Yeah, I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah. yeah we've yeah. already got several that I think would be perfect for a subject. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the Life Work Podcast. Build your business and design your life with us every day, Monday through Friday. And find us at lifeworkpodcast.com.